0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: Nahum, chapter 1. An oracle concerning Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum, the Alkashite. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world, and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, the rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him, but with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, O Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and counsels wickedness. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be cut off and pass away. Although I afflicted you, O Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the carved images and cast idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Look here on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed.
0: If you're like me and find it very hard to find Nahum, the pages is 937 and in the Church of the Bibles, if you closed it while we're singing. And as we turn to God's word, let's pray. Father, we thank you for these ancient words written to a different people at a different time in a different context, and yet so utterly relevant to us here tonight. So we ask that you would. Help us to have a a clear vision of who you are and what you are doing in this world, that we may be people who stand utterly uh, confident on what you are doing in the world today. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. Matthew Paris, a journalist and devout atheist, wrote a remarkable article in The Spectator a little while ago, Complaining about Christians. Now, um, lots of people complain about Christians, but what caught my eye this time was what Matthew Paris was complaining about. His complaint was that Christians have lost their message. He observed that uh, very often churches seem to offer uh, little more than the village pub. Every village has a church, just like they have a pub. If you want some company and a chat, then pop in when you fancy But, says Paris, often you you won't get much more than that. And this makes him angry. And so he writes, and I quote, Beware, I would say to believers, the patronage of unbelievers. In other words, don't patronize us with a cup of tea and and a nice chat. Where's the Christian message? What do you actually believe? And then he goes on to write, If a faith is true, it must have the most profound consequences for a man and for mankind. A remarkable thing for an atheist to say, and he's right. Across this country, far too many churches have, I think, lost their message. Perhaps through fear of what people will think if they preach the full message. Our culture is increasingly scared of people who speak clearly on issues. And so it's easy as Christians to feel that pressure to be quiet and to pull back. Or perhaps we don't keep quiet, but we keep talking. But what we say is a watered-down version. Taking out the tougher parts so that people might like it more. And so I think the church in this country needs to hear the voice of Nahum. Tonight and over the next two weeks, Nahum puts before us a vision. It is a crystal clear message that reminds us that the Christian faith is true and it does have the profoundest consequences for man and for mankind. Even though Nahum spoke over 2,500 years ago, I think when we see how the context works, we'll see just how remarkably relevant it is for us today verse 1 helps us set the scene we read an oracle concerning Nineveh the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkushite." the book of Nahum it's a vision a vision that God gave to Nahum about events that are to take place in the future they concern Nineveh the capital of the Assyrian Empire Uh, Here's a map uh, on the screen of the Assyrian Empire in the days of Nahum. It was vast. It was the the biggest superpower of the day. It dominated the whole area. And it was evil. It was ruthless. It was cruel. A hundred years before Nahum sees his vision, uh, the prophet Jonah had gone to the very very city Nineveh uh, reluctantly to declare the warning about God's judgment on this evil and wicked city. The city had responded in remarkable repentance. They had changed their ways. God withheld his judgment, but the repentance was just for a season. And it seems that this wicked city and evil empire went back to her old way of living. Very quickly, she wiped out the 10 northern tribes of Israel and ever since that day, she has been knocking on the door of Judah, threatening to destroy Judah herself as well. Nahum speaks his vision into a moment in history when evil people seem to be getting away with their evil. People who worshipped other gods seem, seem to be prospering far more than the people who worship the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And in this moment, as God's people, Judah, are kind of overwhelmed by this huge empire, how are they responding to the heat and pressure? Well, it seems they are losing their nerve. As best as we can tell it, the king at this time was Manasseh. And if you look back to 2 Kings 21, you discover that Manasseh was was a terrible king. He led the people of Judah away from Yahweh, the God of the Bible, He led the people to worship other gods, false gods, idols, the gods of Assyria, we think, and the nations around them. The people of God are losing their nerve under this extreme threat of the great Assyrian empire. And what was happening then in Judah seems to be happening all over again today. Across this country, God's people losing their nerve Losing their confidence in God and in his plans and purposes. But Nahum has a vision from God about the world. This vision before us is not for the sake of the Assyrians. It is about the Assyrians, but it's not for their sake. Their time has come. It is too late for them. This vision is for the sake of God's people. It is here to bring God's people comfort when they feel overwhelmed by evil forces. It is here to give us confidence in God and in his plans and purposes and oh how we need it. To have a rock under our feet in a world that is against God. The students heading out this week to tell people about Jesus. Do you speak up or shut up as you talk to your friends? As millions of Christians around this world face death, and torture because they are Christians. What will keep them going as Christians trusting in the Lord? We don't see it as much in this country, but it may be that in the coming days and years we see persecution increasing against Christians as uh, we, the world becomes less tolerant to free speech. And in the years to come, what will keep us confidently proclaiming the ways of the Lord as things get harder and harder in this country? What will keep us speaking our message with clarity and conviction? Well, Nahum's vision is going to help us keep our vision clear. So, what does Nahum see in his vision? Well, we, um, we come to it now in the first chapter of Nahum. And first of all, I think we see a vision of who God is, looking at verses 2 to 7. Four things that Nahum sees about God, I think. First, he sees God's jealousy. Verse two, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. Human jealousy is normally a terrible thing. It is so often corrosive and ugly. But when God is jealous, he is jealous in a good way. He is jealous first and foremost for his own name and glory and that is good and right because he is the most glorious being at the center of the universe. But he's also jealous for his people, the people who bear his name. Imagine uh, Lorna and I went out for a lovely romantic meal, perhaps on Valentine's Day night. And uh, we're having a lovely meal together. And uh, during the course of our romantic dinner, another man uh, storms into the restaurants and he swoops down and carries Lorna away. Imagine I just uh, sat back at the table in the restaurant and uh, put my feet on the table and uh, reclined back and said, um, oh well, I'm sure I'll be able to find someone else sometime. You would begin to worry about the strength of our relationship, wouldn't you? If That's how I responded. But if I stormed out of the restaurant after this man and I ran after him and, and got Lorna back in a fit of jealousy... Well, you'd say that's good, that's right. In fact, that would make Lorna feel loved and cared for. And in that sense, I think here tonight, we see that the Lord is jealous for his people. His people who are oppressed by this great evil of Assyria, the people who feel under threat and are being ridiculed, who wonder if God is actually around for those 100 years since Jonah has prophesied. Well, Nahum says, I see a vision of the Lord, and he is a jealous God who cares for his people. Tremendously encouraging back then, and too for us today. This week in the news, I don't know if you've heard, but uh, Dan Walker has been just announced as the new BBC Breakfast presenter. Dan is a a strong Christian, he's from Sheffield. And uh, this week, he has been shredded in the media. For some of his Christian views. How does God feel when his people are mocked and shredded in the media? Nahum says he cares. He is a jealous God, jealous for his people. Next, Nahum sees God's anger. Verse 2 continues The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance against, on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. God's anger is not like our anger so often is. Often our anger is impulsive and disproportionate, but not God's. His, his anger is an anger which is in response to centuries of Assyrian cruelty and evil. In fact, in verse 3 we read, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. It's been a hundred years since Jonah prophesied judgment on an evil city. It's been a hundred years of the Lord patiently waiting, not acting out his word of prophecy of judgment against Nineveh. And we'll hear later on next week just how evil and wicked Nineveh actually was. I wonder if we would have waited that long to condemn and judge Nineveh. But the time has come. Verse three. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. As one person put it, God's anger is his settled, controlled hostility against evil. And when his anger is roused, it is always planned and proportionate and just. And it is a good thing that God is angered by evil. The news is full of evil. We've heard this week terrible details of what happened to the school girl, girl, Millie Dowler, when she was abducted and raped and murdered. It is a good thing that God cares about evil. Christians are being murdered and tortured by IS in Syria and northern Iraq. It is a good thing that God gets angry at evil. If this thought of... God's anger feels unnecessary to us or a bit extreme. I just wonder if it's because in this country we've experienced a remarkable season of peace. In God's kindness, he's given us a moment in history where we haven't been persecuted and facing the threat of death. But I wonder if we actually experienced raw evil, death of a loved one, genuine torture and persecution, I reckon that we would cling to God's anger as a great source of hope. Next, God's power. Verse 3. His way is in the whirlwinds and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. We've seen remarkable power this week. Uh, As uh, storm Imogen swept through southern Britain, winds of over 80 miles an hour, 19-meter-high waves off the coast, lorries blown over, trees crushing cars. But all that wind, that savage energy of the storm, God has has more power than even that storm. Those storm clouds, they are just the, the dust of God's feet as he walks through the heavens, Verse 4, a reference to the Red Sea as God controlled the waters and opened a channel and closed the channel, bringing his people Israel safely across on dry ground. Verse 5, the mountains, the earth itself, the hardest, the heaviest, the most immovable things we can think of. Even these things shaken by the power of this God. And So the question comes, verse 6, who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? And the answer is no one. God isn't in the corner, blustering away, all worked up in a frenzy, and yet unable to act out his threats. No, his jealousy, his anger, his, his, um, is all backed up with unthinkable power. What a word of encouragement. Little Judah a tiny speck on the map. Overwhelmed by this huge Assyrian empire. What a word of encouragement. God knows. God cares. God has power to act. We may not uh, think of these three things. God's jealousy. His anger and his power. the first thing we would say to someone. Asking about God and Christianity. But I do wonder if it is. Part of the message that we do say, the message that Matthew Paris craved to hear with clarity from Christians. Well, here it is in Nahum 1. But one final point that Nahum shows us in his vision about God, we see also his goodness. Verse 7 The Lord is good, our refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. The response that Judah should have, even under this tremendous pressure from Assyria, the response she should have is to flee and run back to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Not to go the way of Manasseh, rushing off after other gods, the gods of Assyria, but no, to stick with the Lord, for he is a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. And it's a great encouragement for us today. Our God is the same jealous, angry, powerful, good God. He will not abandon us. He will not let evil overwhelm us. As we speak up for Christian truth in a world that has moved away from the gospel, we can expect people to increasingly push back against us with hostility and anger. Students, as you head out this week to invite your friends along to these events, to point them to Jesus, we can expect at times, a tough reaction. But Nahum would say to us, lift your eyes from the circumstances of the world around us and fix your eyes on this vision of the Lord, for this is what the Lord is like. He is a jealous, angry, powerful, and good God, and he is with us at work in the world, protecting his people against all evil. Well, that is how Nahum begins his vision, a vision of who God is. And next, number two, a vision of how God will judge. Verse eight. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh, he will pursue his foes into darkness. As I read those verses this week, I couldn't help but think of those terrible pictures that we've seen on our screens from years ago now of those events on Boxing Day 2004. People out on the beach enjoying their holiday in the sun, relaxing, enjoying life. And then out on the horizon, just a a smudge, a, a line across the horizon. They didn't know what it was. They pointed at it, started talking about it. And then that line came closer and closer. And then when it was too late, they realized it was a A huge wall of water that swept in and swept everything in its path. It is a terrible thing to think about. Those images are terrible if you see them on our screens. But I think that is the kind of vision Nahum has of what will happen to the Assyrians. Verse 9, the end will come and there will be no second chance. Verse 10, the picture is of someone, of someone trying to run away, but they've got caught in a, in a thorn bush. And as much as they struggle to get away, the thorns kind of get more and more entangled in them and they can't escape. Or there's the drunk person out on a Saturday night and they're so confused, they can't work out how to move forward away from danger. They're stumbling around, kind of caught in their own mess. That is a picture of the Assyrians facing the judgment of God. Look at the contrast to come in verse 12. This is what the Lord says, although you have allies and are numerous, they will all be cut off and pass away. Assyria looked so strong, her allies were numerous, her armies were vast, and yet all cut off. Verse 14. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. And can I say, the words of this vision, they came to pass in history. Within a generation of this prophecy, Babylon had invaded Assyria and had destroyed Nineveh. We have accounts of of travelers who were passing through this area 300 years later after Nahum's prophecy and as they travel across the side of this great city, Nineveh, they record they had no idea that there used to be a city there at all, 300 years later. What a thought. Imagine a city like London, a vast city, a city full of heritage and history and great buildings and impressive culture and money and finance and power. We walk around the street of London in awe of what humanity has managed to achieve in that place, but imagine it, wiped away, Imagine a traveler 300 years later saying, what, was there really a city here at all? The words of Nahum came to pass terribly for the city of Nineveh. Nineveh thought that her idols, her gods, had made her strong. Well, verse 14, I will destroy the carved images and cast idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile, says the Lord for people who trust in other gods, there will come a day when they realize that the gods they have trusted cannot help them and that there is only one God worth worshipping, the God of the Bible, the Lord. And so here is a vision of how God will judge. It is, it is stern stuff. It doesn't make easy reading. It's not easy to preach on. But for the people of God oppressed by evil and wobbling in their confidence that God would look out for them, this vision of Nahum, well, it is wonderful news. The very judgment that will come on the Assyrians is the way in which God will bring about a great rescue for his people. And so look at verse 12. The Lord, this is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be cut off and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, O Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. As the Lord defeats Nineveh, he is setting his people free from the shackles. Words of great comfort. We'll look over the page at verse 15. Look there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. I think Nahum has a picture in his mind of that scene that will happen in the future when a messenger comes running over the mountains towards Judah and the messenger brings tidings that Nineveh has fallen that great oppressor of God's people has come down and is no longer a threat. What a day it will be. God has kept his promises. His people are safe from evil. It's probably not a very good parallel, but uh, when World War II finished and it was finally announced that a ceasefire had come and that hostilities were over and the threat was gone, there were scenes of tremendous joy People gathering in squares and uh, gathering to celebrate and to dance. There were street parties, people just full of joy. At last the threat was over. And I wonder if that's the the sort of picture that Nahum has in his mind of, of that moment in the future when that messenger does come, when Nineveh has fallen. God's people rejoicing, they are safe at last from the threat. So here is a vision of how God will judge the enemies of his people and also bring about great salvation for his people. But as we read these words, if you read verse 15 carefully, there is a problem in verse 15 because Nahum speaks with great confidence that no more will God's people experience the threat of evil. And yet, as we look at history, we know that in a few decades after these words, After the fall of Assyria, there will come another threat, the Babylonians. And this time, the Babylonians will invade, and they will overwhelm Judah, and they will carry off the king, and God's people will be scattered. And so what are we to make of this great proclamation of peace and hope that Nahum gives the people of God? It just doesn't seem to last very long. And that is where we have to flick forward in our Bibles to discover how this great verse is finally fulfilled. Not in the days of Nahum, not in the days of the Babylonians, but much later on in the Bible. If you have a Bible, do turn to Romans chapter 10. It's on page 1137 in the church Bibles. Romans 10,, three, seven. Uh, the Apostle Paul is, is talking about how the Jews will find a lasting peace and forgiveness and salvation. And Paul says it's by, by hearing words about Jesus, about his death on the cross and his resurrection. And Paul wants this message of good news to go out to Jews and Gentiles alike, and look at what he says in verse 14. Uh, we pick it up just at the end of the verse. And he says, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As it is written. Those words sound familiar? Our little, uh, our, our Bibles have a footnote. Uh, the authors reckon that Paul was talking about Isaiah 52. And that may, might be the case. But I reckon that Paul is also thinking of Nahum 1 verse 15 It's remarkably similar A picture of one bringing good news How beautiful are the feet Bringing peace And you see in Romans 10 The problem isn't the threat of Assyria Or the threat of the Babylonians Or the threat of any other human nation The great threat in Romans 10 Is the ultimate threat of sin And the wickedness that comes from sin It is the threat of the devil Who loves to oppress cruelly it is the great and final threat of death. Paul is saying there is a way to find peace. There is good news that deals with that greatest of problems of sin and the devil and death itself. It is found in the Lord Jesus in his death and resurrection. And so Paul says to his readers, let's be people who go out with this message of good news and proclaim it. For Jew and Gentile alike need to hear about how to find rescue from this evil and from God who will come and judge the evil of the world. And this is so important. Nahum promised good news. But we know that good news didn't come about fully in his day. In fact, in Nahum 1, we see hints that actually the people of God are hardly any different from the Assyrians. They are those who worship idols and turn from God. God. And it's because they turn from God that he judges them again. Peace is not found in Nahum's day. Peace is only found not in what we can do for God, but what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus. And so the messenger that Nahum pictures running down from the hills with the news of peace and victory, well, that victory has been finally accomplished in Christ. The ultimate victory we need, not over a particular army or a particular state, or a particular regime, but victory over sin, and the devil, and death. And so here is the great difference that faith in Jesus makes. In Jesus, we have a refuge, a shelter from the storm of God's judgment. In Jesus, we have a victory over every evil force. In Jesus, we can be confident about our futures, no matter how our present looks. And so tonight, as we think about our week ahead, I think Nahum 1 would spur us on to speak, to speak with great boldness and clarity to a world that does not know the Lord. For judgment is coming on the sin of this world. And yet there is a refuge in the Lord Jesus. There is peace, there is good news. And Paul would appeal to us that we would be messengers of that peace to a world facing God's judgment. And so for you students heading out on your events week, go with confidence for you have good news that the world needs to hear. For all of us, with our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues, the people we meet at school, when they mock us and oppress us for being Christians, don't let that circumstance throw you there is one in heaven, the Lord, who is with you, and he has given us good news. I doubt Matthew Paris would like the message of Nahum, but at least he can't complain about a lack of clarity. May we be people who have the same confidence, the same clarity, as we speak about our faith in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, for the great victory he has won over all the evil in us and in the world around us. We thank you for the refuge he gives to us. Even though our hearts wander, we thank you that we are forgiven. And Father, please, in a world that is so far from Christ, make us a people who are bold, who stand up for the truth of Christ, proclaiming good news and peace in a world where there is so little good news and peace. And we pray this, that you might be glorified through us. In Jesus' name, amen.